Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey there, welcome to ATL on 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chouinard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. Uh, We're recording on a Sunday night. Uh, The Hawks have continued to lose. Uh, Glenn, what did did you think about that Knicks game? I mean, it seems like in the last couple of games, the Hawks have done better, but they're still coming up short. And what are the things that are precipitating that? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's like, it, as, as is often the case, it's kind of a, a little bit of a different thing each game that kind of reflects back to a general consistency issue where, you know, problems will pop up in different areas in each game. Um, but, you know, as I uh, was preparing to write after the game and kind of listen to the post-game comments, I, I thought everyone's comments were kind of spot on like basically Gallo and Nate said we've got to play a complete game and we got to finish games and and that's been an issue here the second Miami game and now this uh, Knicks game was abysmal uh finish um the last you know two and a half minutes I think it was in Miami about the last four here against the Knicks um and then defensively um you know I know that the Knicks put together a you know a solid uh offensive rating but I thought when Trace said they played good defense for three and a half quarters I thought that was mostly true considering that we start thinking of them as a at least a bottom 10 defense you know even if we're kind of assuming all the key pieces are back they still haven't really played outside that that bottom 10. Uh, so they, they played above their baseline uh, defensively solidly, I think for three and a half quarters. And then uh, basically the Knicks scored nine points on four, the first four possessions under four minutes, the Hawks scored once on their first five. And that was the game, you know, and which isn't all that dissimilar from kind of how the, the end of the Miami uh, game went as well. We could talk about sort of, you know, what they were doing X's and O's, what, the teams were next to Miami were doing on defense, what the Hawks were doing on offense. And there, there's probably some interesting in the weeds type of conversation there. But the bottom line is just that the performance at the end of games as they've raised their overall performance just has been awful. Uh, and that's uh, cost them a chance to get a couple of wins in, in close games here in the last week. I don't even know where to go with that. There's like seven different directions to go here. So many. <laughs> you brought up a few things. Uh, what do you think about the end of games? Because it seems like, you know, Nate wants a certain methodical approach. Trey doesn't always fit that methodical approach. That approach worked for them going down the stretch last season. Mm-hmm. 
and it hasn't worked this year. I mean, it doesn't seem like they've changed what they want to do. They've just changed how they've succeeded at it. I mean, is it, is it as simple as they haven't had Hunter? They haven't had the real Clint Capella? Like, what, what, it doesn't seem like strategy-wise they've changed a whole lot about what they want to do at the end of games. It just hasn't worked out as well. What, what's different? What am I missing about, about end-game situations? I, I do think there's a continuity challenge. So if, if the listeners can kind of follow me here, I'll think back to the memorable end of games that have gone well. Um, just a few examples there and then in, in the last week. So the first one that jumps out to me um, is, I don't remember, I think it may have been Trey's rookie year where they're playing in L.A., uh, against the Lakers and Trey basically drew LeBron one-on-one on the possession they had to score and he absolutely smoked LeBron but Tyson Chandler got a barely got a fingertip on that that was an example where they uh, set Trey up with a mismatch um, and Trey attacked a bigger uh, defender with just a real, with his craft and and that's he's not at that time he, he's not you know, was it close to the player he is now with all the work he's put in, all the development, things like that. There we, you know, we we might recall the Spurs game where they went for the in San Antonio for the first time in like you know a couple of decades, I think, where Herder ended up hitting the shot from the left corner when Trey got a, a screen from John well on the right side of the floor, moved it to Hunter. Hunter took one dribble and threatened the middle. The Spurs defense kicked it to Herder. In the left corner. So those are stark differences. One where Trey attacks the mismatch, and one where they use tr- the threat of Trey to draw two defenders and open up a four on three, which created that shot um, for Herder against the Knicks last year. You know, in, in the beginning of that series, um, you know, he went right at Frank Nilakina, and John was there to give him the screen. Trey felt like he wanted that, but he kind of liked what he saw. Uh, now he put Bogey in the right corner so that the defender couldn't come out of the right corner because that was the Hawks' best shooter. They had Gallo in the left corner, so they had their best shooters on the whole team in each corner to kind of create that, you know, spread it out. So we, that, those are just three examples that I can recall kind of top of mind. Um, um, but here in the last week, it's been in Miami over and over and over. They're trying to get Hero on Trey. And Miami is so good on defense that they basically burned, like, the bulk of the shot clock until, you know, in some cases they never drew that matchup. In one case, they drew the matchup with like I think five and a half seconds left on the shot clock, and so that um, and that's that's in the Nate blueprint for sure. He believes in attacking mismatches and talks about it a lot, right? And that just wasn't working out. Miami was not really um, giving them anything uh, uh, of what the Hawks were kind of looking to attack there, and it doesn't make you wonder like why not move on to a different plan. When I, I think it felt it feels like it was like three or four possessions where they've got nowhere uh, on that. Um, and then in the next game, you know, they, they actually got a, a few decent shots um, that didn't go down. Um, I, and I thought that they um, got more of what they were looking for uh, in this next game uh, and just kind of couldn't get the shot to go. And I feel like what I saw in the next game was a lot of pressure, a team that's feeling a lot of pressure to get a win they desperately need to win and they're kind of um in a, in a situation where through digging a hole consistently in almost every game having to dig back from a double digit deficit getting back you know in contact at the end of the game you've you know you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself by constantly 
giving yourself the only chance to win the game at the very, very end. Um, and so that's what I saw. So I think Nate's thought process is let's draw the best uh, mismatch we can and attack it. Before the coaching change, we'd see things like we saw in that Spurs game, right? Um, but in that Lakers game from Trace rookie year, you know, they went to that mismatch too. So we see a little bit of that. I think we're seeing, it feels like we're seeing 80% of the time late in the game attacking an individual mismatch in less ball movement and less, you know, away from the ball screen action or whatever, whatever other kind of action and things like that. And so, I, you know, Trey's a dynamic scorer. And I think, I, I imagine that's what Trey wants at the end of the game to be the guy, you know, and you want your star to want the shot. Um, but I don't know that that's always the best thing to do. So that's sort of just kind of my top line memories of some kind of significant end of game situations and the different things that we've seen. But lately it does seem like it's always get, get the best matchup for Trey to exploit and let him go at it, which worked great. Has worked great in some cases, but hasn't um, given them what they need recently. Well, you you mentioned the the digging out of holes, and it's easy to see how earlier in this season uh, there were a number of situations where the team had done pretty well through two and a half, three quarters. And the bench would kind of give it back early fourth quarter. And then that, you know, that deliberate tactics, you know, you didn't have quite the, the lead that you might have otherwise had because uh, you were given, given a lot of points away early in the fourth quarter. And maybe that's something that didn't happen as much last season, but at least the last couple of games, the benches looked like it has some juice. I think we've seen some of Gallo's best basketball of the season. I mean, he had a great December shooting wise, but he looks a little sprier, I think. He looks as quick as he's looked all season. And, uh, you know, DeLon Wright's playing pretty well, too. Like, his defense, it's kind of always there, but it just feels like he's he's fitting in better than he has at any point this season. So is it fair to say that maybe – I mean, it's still kind of weird because they're still losing these games. Uh, and I guess a big part of that, of course, is that Trey doesn't seem like he's Trey. And we'll get to that later, but is the bench playing better? Is that fair, fair to say? I think it is. Um, you know, uh, I mean, that was the best, the next game was the best Gallo game in a long time. You know, I think it's the best game this year, especially, you know, I, I was kind of joking to myself when I was watching him play defense against the Knicks that maybe he had seen uh, a lot of our tweets and such kind of poking a little bit of fun at his closeouts because <laughs> I mean he did a great job on Randall and, and he did in the in the in the playoffs I mean, he's a, too. That's one of those matchups where that it's like well it's kind of a luxury to have Gal, Gallinari defensively with, with someone like Randall because there were there were moments in that game it's like well can can we put Gallo back in because I think that would be a good matchup because you know Randall can just move so many people and you need somebody who's a little stouter like Gallo to to stand up to it and he. You know, you, even like Hunter, I think was it, it's rare to see Hunter just kind of moved and kind of surprised by how much he's moved. But he was in that game, and it seemed like okay, well, let, let's give Gallo a try at it. And uh, it wasn't just on Randall where Gallinari thrived, but I mean, it's you know there are situations where where he can where he can thrive, and I just think like physically he's moving better than he has a whole uh, in recent memory. 
Yeah, and this was, I think, Hunter's third game back. And I, I think just even having Hunter back allows you to get more herder in the second unit, um, allows you to kind of right-size TLC's role in his minutes and things like that. So just having their normal week. And this, this, I mean, I guess it feels a little silly to say that because they played without Bogdanovich, you know, in this game. So Hunter back, and then they, they lose Bogdanovich for a game. Um, so, I, so I guess it was, uh, for that game, kind of a one-in-one-out uh, one kind of a situation. But I mean, I I think they're just getting um, back from all the different COVID absences. They haven't really had the full squad back for many games at all. They're not alone in that. So I don't want anyone to think like, oh, Glenn's making excuses for losses. They, they need to be winning games. They're good enough to win games. Um, but in terms of if you just ask the kind of what are we seeing on the second unit and what are we seeing overall, I just think they're kind of getting used to playing together uh, again. Um, and and we know what this team is capable of. You know, we, you know, this roster isn't that different at all from last year. Um, and it, you know, it's perplexing to see them be bottom five in defense because we know they're better than that. But as I mentioned on Twitter, you know, last night, um, I think the three most important defenders on the team are Capella, Akongu, and Hunter. And um, and you and I talked before about what an advantage it would be to have Capella and Akongu cover all your minutes at center, especially defensively. Those two guys have played in the same game four times this year, four out of 42. And then if you um, kind of add Hunter in the mix, Capella, Okongwu, and Hunter have not even appeared in the same game one time this year. Now they should, you know, you, you still will never accept, you know, third worst defensive rating in the league, really kind of almost despite injuries and and that sort of stuff. But that's that's significant. And it, I don't know what um, the expectation is around Capella's return. Um, but, you know, if they can kind of get all three of those guys in the lineup game in and game out, I think you're going to start to see them, you know, benefit defensively from that. Then that in turn takes pressure off of you on offense. Uh, because you're, you you can have some confidence. You can get stops. You know, when you can't get stops, you feel like I, we have to score on every freaking possession, <laughs> you know, especially at the end of the game. And that, I mean, even for, you know, the, the greatest players in the world that, you know, play in the greatest league in the world, that turns into real, you know, human pressure. And so it's, it's all kind of connected in my mind. But I, I think if I had to pick one reason why they're starting to play better, apart from the end of the game right now, it's just getting everybody back and kind of getting that roster kind of um, get that rotation uh, kind of put back together in a way that uh, constitutes the first and second unit that has, you know, some viability. What, what have you seen from Hunter at tossing aside that first Miami game? Because I think you give everybody sort of one game to get their feet wet. And I don't think that was necessarily his best game. I mean, he, he got a lot of shots because, uh, the Heat were given Trey a lot of attention, and you know that that gave him some shots where he was just you know the wide open guy after the after a pitch or two. Uh, but, but in the second Miami game, in the New York game, especially on the defensive end, how does he look? I think he looks good, but I I, I think he still looks like he's um, kind of getting used to the physical aspect of banging. You know, that's something he couldn't get at all. You know, while he was was injured. There's one play um, where he was defending Randall and he got a, an elbow across the chin. I put it up on Twitter last night and then, and then Randall kind of got him again and he, he backed off and looked at the ref like, what the heck, you know? Mm-hmm. And I understand that. I mean, 
the, the people, <laughs> yeah. the, the responses yeah. on Twitter, like, wow, JC did that. He'd be, uh, you know, kicked out of the game and, you know, uh, all that sort of stuff. But I mean, uh, before this absence and, and like I said, this is just third game. I think he kind of stood in there more against the physicality, but that just takes reps. That just takes kind of getting back and getting bumped and getting, you know, you know, getting into a physical game and the next place physically is any team in the league. So I think it's all good. The technique is good. I think he's, you know, he's still good navigating screens. He's probably the best uh, on the team on that. DeLon's probably, you know, maybe a, a bit of a close second uh, there. Um, and then because of the foul trouble at center, he had a slide to the four and, and he was actually, you know, the big man and several pick and rolls the, the next ran and he like just jumped right in and like was communicating and calling the coverage and calling the action and all that sort of stuff, which was just, I mean, it's, he's so, his, his ability to process information and be versatile in the different kinds of situations you can throw him into is just impressive, but man, just let's give him, I don't know, at least like five more games to kind of, you know, see uh, what he's going to bring game to game to game. But, you know, he's been making shots against the Knicks. He attacked closeouts decisively, I thought. Um, and, and just his, um, the pace with which he plays individually, whether he's kind of reading the closeout defender to either get the shot up before the closeout defender can get there or attack it, he's been decisive. And uh, I think his pace has been better than I expected these first few games because before he went out with injury, he was like playing in second gear. It seemed like a lot of times when the rest of the team was in fourth gear. That's been better for somehow since this last one. But I mean, he adds so much. Um, you know, he can offer a little bit of. Um, occasional rim protection from a small forward. He helps them rebound a ton, uh, especially when they're, um, they've been smaller at the bigger positions lately without Clint, you know, so there, there's just so many different categories that he contributes uh, and he's going to help. They're going to win more games with him um, and without him for sure. What else are you seeing besides what I mentioned? That's, I mean, I guess the only thing I would add is sort of the next step for him because he is so good at attacking closeouts was I want him to be able to kind of make a read on the fly when he's moving, when his, you know, when the appropriate move for him is to put the ball down and start going, I want him to read because at that point, usually the defense is kind of tilted one way or another and there's somebody who's open. And I don't think he's necessarily seeing who, who the open person is at that point. And I want him to get better at that. But that's, again, that's one of those things where when you're injured and you don't get the reps and you haven't had a whole lot of NBA experience, you don't, you know, it's going to take time for him, but I, I think that's definitely one of the places he can grow. Yeah. And sometimes agreed. he sees it, but it's also a matter of like, how, how quickly do you process it? Like, do you see it and get it out fast enough that the defense is cooked or do you get it out three tenths of a second later and the defense recovers? And I think a lot of times now he's, he sees it, but he doesn't see it fast enough to really penalize the other team. Yeah. And, and, I mean, he's had he, over his whole career, really, he's had to work, spend so much time on injury recovery that you wonder how many reps he gets in his individual practice time, even at, you know, a, a drop off pass, you know, when the, a big man jumps at him and at least, especially with guys like Capella and Okongu and Collins on the roster, you want him to take advantage of those guys that uh, can finish, especially if any space at all, you know um there so i agree with you that's kind of that's kind of the next step but you know that next game when they weren't really getting into the paint at all he was the one that kind of in the third quarter started attacking 
you know, towards the paint, towards the rim, and which was helpful. And they started kind of uh, generating some some buckets there internally. And it's kind of funny because he has so much length and he has such a high release point on a jump shot and when he's kind of getting to the rim of the backboard that you want him to just kind of be aggressive. But there are other times when, especially when he's attacking the weak side, that Trey has kind of set that up, that if it's a single defender that's either going to jump at him or stay with the big man that's down in the dunker spot, for example, you want that to be snap decisive, and, and that's not something we've really seen from him. It would be a great next step for him. Uh, I mean, I think, honestly, the Hawks' biggest issue right now, and, you know, it, when, when it's going good, it's the biggest benefit, and when it's not going well, it's it's kind of the thing that's going to pull him back is that Trey just doesn't look like himself. Uh, yeah. He really hasn't looked like himself since the Portland game. He missed the Sacramento game, if I'm tabulating these correctly. And right. since then, you know, he just hasn't looked quite right, I guess. One of the things you noted was that, you know, leading up to that Portland game, he had a bunch of favorable matchups and he cooked those matchups and things got harder after that. But I mean, is it possible maybe that he's just not physically right? I mean, does, does he look right to you? It, it, I don't know that he's as, you know, typically on offense, he's pretty relentless, uh, merciless to the other team. Like if, if, the strategy is to just kind of attack with the dribble. You know, he can do that as many times as needed. Just, it seems like there are instances where he necessarily doesn't necessarily want to do that over and over and over now, but maybe I'm missing something out. What, what do you see? Yeah, it was kind of funny to start with. Um, you saw that um, contact with Nurkic in Portland is something more significant than I did originally, but the more I watched him play since that game, you know, I'm, I'm coming around to, to tell myself Kevin was right. I think that, I mean, I, and he missed the next game, you know, which is, you know, which says something, you know, as well. So I have no idea if you would admit it or not, but, um, but he does look like he's um, avoiding contact a little bit more and he's a little um, more hesitant to kind of get into traffic in the half court um, as compared to we see in, in you know, typically seen, I think, especially before, up until that Portland game. Um, but, the, I mean, the, the other part of that, since then, it's been Lakers, who aren't an awesome defensive team, but they play basically veterans, uh, as, apart from, you know, Monk, um, you know, and, you know, one or two other young guys like Dorton Tucker, and then um, forgetting the the kid who plays Reeves. at the small board. Reeves, there you go. Uh, and then Clippers, who are super sound defensively, heat, heat, as sound defensively as it gets. And so when it comes junkie. to <laughs> junkie, yeah, for sure. Uh, and and like opportunistically physical. And then the Knicks are just like or is maybe the most physical defense in the league. And, they, and they're super. It's kind of funny because when I went to look up like what their defensive rating was and they're not even league average and. I was like, that kind of surprises me. They're very defensive. Then I remembered how bad they are offensively and how their offense just doesn't allow them to get set as much on defense. So then and they I hide think some they, of them in the bench too. Like the starters are, are pretty sound, but you bring some players off the bench. Sure. Good. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's true. Um, but I mean, we, if we go Lakers, what they present, and I mean LeBron was not assertive offensively in that game, and he was basically lurking. You know, with, you know, for trade that whole. If you go back and watch that, he's pounced. He created, I think, himself like four turnovers in the first quarter on deflections and things like that, where he was jumping Trey stuff. The Clippers, like I said, are good. Then two Heat games, and then the Knicks. When Trey 
is trying to set up his guy, those teams are stacking help in the right place at the right time and making trade think about multiple layers of defense he's going to encounter and get through it. And, and so even if he we set aside the fact that since that Nurkic contact, he may not feel um, his, like his normal self, the way that those teams defend a way, you know, behind the point of attack is as good as it gets in, in the league. And I think that's been having an impact on on Trey as well. There, there's been a few times when there's been a one of his head scratcher, you know, logo threes. And I think part of that just might be like, this is going to be a better shot than I get if I try to, you know, work through all the different kind of, uh, you know, traffic, the defensive traffic he had to get through. So, uh, I mean, next game's Milwaukee. Good luck, Trey, uh, there. You know, they're really sound too. Um, but it's been an interesting kind of set of defensive teams to encounter and uh i think it's even that much more complicated and hard if he's uh still feeling kind of some some back issues actually one thing that i would add and it's you know you kind of mentioned it a lot of times on the flip side with clint is that you know clint does so much work as a screener clint really frees trey out uh and i like onyeka in that regard too and and i like gorgie and i like trey I don't like Gorgie and Trey together. Right. They just have negative pick and roll chemistry. Uh, I don't know that that pairing is not working. Like Gorgie doesn't seem to love rolling when he does roll, you know, Trey and him see different things and the ball ends up in the wrong spot. Uh, that, that that's certainly one of the things that I think factors into it is that he hasn't, you know, if he had a healthy Clint, that's that some of these games would look different. And, uh, you know, I, that pairing is, has been rough. Uh, yeah. but they, they can both do things, but they just don't have that sort of chemistry that you would want to drive the engine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in Gorby starting has helped the Congo make a bigger impact these last couple of games where he's been starting because I mean, right, right now, um, and uh, Congo is, this is, I mean, he's even played 10 games this year. I don't even know. You know, I mean, and it covers up Kongu's foul trouble because right, and that's and that's the thing is that I think Kongu is still kind of feeling his way through, um, you know, or, or trying to work on his own calibration of all of these defensive repetitions to not have so much foul contact. And he's been a little unlucky, you know, in that department. He's had you know, a few calls, <laughs> or, or yeah. a, more than a little unlucky um, and such. But that, I mean, he's a young big man. It's not unusual at all for even the best of young bigs to to have some. You know, foul trouble and i think nate starting um you know uh, gorgie this last few games like uh kongu in that i think it was the the first half of the fourth quarter he played basically the six minute mark of the third quarter the six minute mark of the fourth quarter against the Knicks, and that that fourth quarter stretch was incredible i mean that's where he looked like a just a future all-star you know on both ends of the court and it gets you so excited I still, you know, I know fans get excited and that's, that's what fans do. Fans get excited. That's totally normal. Um, but he's, I say he's still not ready to play, you know, 30, 32 minutes a game, every single game yet, just because the discipline's not there and, and the consistency's uh, not there. And, and the, and the Philly game he started, he was awesome, you know, but the other couple of starts he's had since then have been kind of rough. Uh, and so I, I think he's best served by, being the backup center, you know, probably for the rest of this year. And, and, and you and I talked before that the offensive potential of him and Collins to have the option of finishing with those two is, is great. I know, I know some fans were frustrated that uh, he didn't finish the game against the Knicks, but I mean, 12 straight minutes 
for your center. I mean, he is, had to come out, but he could have gone back in. And he, Nate's he explanation could. was that he had to come out, so he came out. And right. at that point, things snowballed, and he wanted offense, so he didn't really want to put a Congo in because the deficit had grown so much, I think. Yeah, and, and I went back yeah, and looked first. at it when I was writing after the game, and he, Nate is exactly right. I mean, everything any head coach says after the game about their decision, you kind of like, oh, I don't know if, you know, if I really believe that because they're dealing with the media and they're, you know, none of them put all the cards on the table and, you know, the media and everything and stuff. because they yeah, have well, strategy. Nate said something yesterday like, and you guys have been asking why Cam wasn't in the rotation. I said, talking about like that was one where I was like, well, hold on. We're going to do a fact check on that. When, when was Cam not in the rotation for us to ask why isn't Cam in the rotation? Like it made no sense. Like, that, anyways, yeah. No, but, but I went back and looked and, and, and so basically they were good from this. So Gorgie went out at a, at a, at a timeout with like six twenty left in the fourth, if I remember correctly from the play-by-play and they were good to the four minute mark. I think, it, I think it was a three point game at the four minute mark. And he would have needed those two minutes, obviously, at a minimum to rest. And then from there, it went to like seven, nine, 11, like bam, 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 you know. And at that point, every coach in the league puts their two best shooting bigs at the four and the five uh, to try to come back from a double digit deficit with, you know, three ish minutes left. And so Nate was, I thought what Nate said was uh, completely fair. And, and yeah. when I went back and kind of worked through that fourth quarter, I thought it, was exactly like he said it in, in this case. <laughs> and Gallinari looked good. Actually, you said you had one other idea for how that end game situation could have gone. Who who did you want out of the game from the Knicks side, and how are you going to get them out? Out from oh Mitchell Robinson, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, he it's funny because w- when I went back and rewatched, he makes so many mistakes. He he makes so many mistakes on both ends of the court. But he's just so big and energetic, you know, <laughs> that he still affects everything around the rim. Um, like like when the Hawks were doubling. Like young JaVale, JaVale, JaVale McGee used to just be all over the place. Sometimes yeah. it didn't matter. Yeah, when, when the Hawks were doubling Randall on the lower block, like they did in the playoffs last year, where they'd bring the, the five across the low block and be right there, painted right there. Robinson was coming across and basically kind of inventing a strong side dunker spot, which was like, what are you doing over here? <laughs> you are completely in the way. And, and then on defense, he's, he still is indecisive sometimes about, am I impacting the ball or my man, or am I trying to, you know, kind of have some impact on both and, and things like that. But he still is a problem. He's still a pain in the butt to deal with when he's on defense. Um, and I, I thought one way to, um, kind of give the Hawks, uh, you know, a defensive path there late was to hack him because the, the Knicks were in the in the bonus for so long that even as soon, especially when Okongwu went to the bench because that lucky with Collins and Gallinari at the four and the five. And Okongwu was, was anchoring their defense so well the first half of the fourth quarter. And when he went to the bench, I thought, well, that's, that's gone, you know, or that, that, yes, as well as Gallinari was playing at the four and on Randall and as helpful as John can be, I just thought like, well, you, the, the whole foundation of your defense for the last six minutes is, is sitting on the bench right now. Why not heck, you know, Robinson? And 
And, and in, in addition to that, if your goal was to get a Kongu back in, if you're slowing the game down by putting him on the free throw line every trip down for three or four trips or whatever the number would have been, that would have given you a path to getting him back in with, say, three minutes left and hopefully a two- or three-point game, a one-possession game at that point in time. And I was, I was frankly kind of disappointed that it didn't happen. Very good. That's a bummer to end on. Is there anything else that you wanted to bring up tonight? I think we've hit on a lot of the key topics that we had planned, but I, I mean, don't say anything. I mean, they're they're playing better. You know, they're playing better, and and you know, it's funny because I'll put things on Twitter like, "Hey, you know, this was a better, this was an improved performance." People are like, "Oh, you're so optimistic." I'm like, "Nothing I said was optimistic. I'm just telling you what I'm seeing." That, and in my own experience, Miami's good. Coaching, like, I believe in Miami. <laughs> And, and the Clippers are so good on defense. I mean, so good on defense. And, and you know, the Knicks aren't that great. I mean, this is, I'm not saying that as a Hawks person trying to, you know, the Knicks are, are having a better game than the Hawks right now. But the Knicks, when you're like in a rut, like the Knicks are like the last team maybe you want to see because they're just so physical and just junk everything up and, you know, and so um, the you know, Trey and some of the rest probably feels like I just want a normal game. Just kind of just get one, <laughs> you know, normal game where there's not a PJ Tucker, you know, and not a Tosh Gibson, not a Cal Lowry or whatever, and all that sort of stuff. You know, uh, not not a, a Marcus Morris, you know, uh, et cetera, and, and stuff. So it, it's kind of funny, but you know, they are playing they are playing better, and all they can really do right now is take the positives. The, the increasing number of positives from each game and they have to have confidence that if they just keep playing more consistently with good habits, good effort, good focus, good connectedness, all that sort. I know it's not like a coach and I, I am a, a, a you know coach in a sense, um, nothing to do with NBA, but you know, you have to trust in all those things like habits and connectedness, communication and, and, and being more consistent and know that, that's the path to getting wins again. And this is their second time this year. They've lost five in a row, which sucks. And it's not fun to watch uh, for a fan, but they are playing better. And so let's, you know, there's another win out here, not too far down the road. I have no idea if that happens on Monday against Milwaukee. Milwaukee's been struggling themselves. I think they've lost, I think, six or seven. Um, you know, so, but it still feels like an icky game for Atlanta, you know, um, because of how, because of what the Bucks can throw at them defensively, which has been which has been tough. But they, it's funny. I went after the game last night and looked. Was like, are these? Do they still have the second best offensive league? And yep, they do. Really? Um, so I, yeah, I know, I know. And uh, so, you know, so they're even when it looks pretty messy, and even when it disappears on them in the game, what they're doing offensively is still easily good enough. Just need to get their personnel back on defense, and whether they have personnel or not, they need to commit to those habits. And stick with it and don't get disheartened and don't lose confidence in the middle of a game when you're down, when the, when the league goes from the other team's league goes from two to 10 in a minute, a minute and a half, you know, and, and, and I get it, they're human beings. And so they're, they're experiencing the emotion that kind of comes with like, oh my God, here we go again, which is an inevitable, inevitable thing to mentally process, right? But they've got to work together and push each other, you know, through that, encourage each other through that. And that's the only way really to, visualize that path forward and you know I th- they're going to have another stretch this year where they're playing really well i know that will, will it be too late to really get them you know really up in the standings i don't know we're getting late in the season for that but the the template's still there i'm confident in that as long as they can uh, have some positive mental framing you know within themselves so long answer to your any other th- any other thing but i still 
look forward to watching this team uh, be a fun watch again this year. I know it's coming. I just, I don't know when, and I, I don't know if there'll be enough time to, to really recover all of their goals of the year. Probably not, but um, it's just still be a fun watch. Very good. I appreciate the time, sir. Thank you, Kevin.